So October of 1988, young guy, just trying to figure out life. I was asked to give a layman sermon at our church. The night before, I felt this pressing need to pray that God would remove every obstacle in my life, every hedge that I had tried to build between He and I, that I might know Him more intimately. To condense the story really quick, it began a saga of many events of those hedges being ripped out of the ground. We fast forward into 1995. One of those hedges manifested itself in May of 95 when my wife contracted a weird viral syndrome called Guillain-Barre. You may not be familiar with that, but it's a syndrome that happens that eats away the protective myelin sheaths from around your nerves. And you move through stages of um, like your whole body, you know, like when your foot goes to sleep or your arm goes to sleep, from that into your entire body going completely uh, on tilt and you become vegetative or canatonic, or whatever the politically correct word is, um, that you can't talk, you can't move, you're paralyzed. Um, and eventually, uh, it moves into your respiratory system. You go on a ventilator, possibly, and then you um, certainly um, you go to the edge of death. And sometimes you don't come back. And so Lee had contracted this viral syndrome. She was about three or four days into it when I noticed that she was slipping further and further and further into it to the point where she could not even speak anymore. Our doctor, who was a dear friend and a brother in Christ, informed me that um, she was going to go on the ventilator in the morning, so not to be surprised when I came in that morning uh, and may find her you know, on a breathing machine. Um, I went home for a quick change of clothes and shower later that evening and remember Caleb on the couch asking me, is mommy going to be okay? And I, I had to tell him, I don't, I don't know. And then he said, well, daddy, is mommy going to die? And I said, I don't know. I came back that evening to the hospital to find my pastor there. And uh, we spent some time in prayer. And I said, John, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do if I lose her. I don't. She's the most precious thing in the world to me. He gave me pastoral advice that I will never forget. At the moment I heard it, I was, just, I was stunned. But here's what his words were to me. You need to go into the chapel and you need to give her up. You need to give her to God, and maybe he'll give her back. I want to tell you, it was the hardest prayer I've ever prayed in my life. That's what's happening here. The most precious thing in the world, Abram, God is requiring. 
God is saying, give me everything, Abraham, so that I will never be secondary to any blessing I ever give you. That you will never worship the blessing more than you worship me. You see, there's a, there's a cycle, and we talked about it last week. There's a cycle that goes on in Abraham's story of God commanding Abraham and then giving Abraham this invitation to believe. And then from his response to God's word, God gives him a promise. Let's look at that cycle here this morning. First, look at the command in 22.1. He says, after these things, and these things are, so Ishmael, Abraham, and um, uh, I just blanked on her name. Um, Hagar, thank you. Uh, have usurped what uh, was God's plan for Abraham's life. And Sarah is involved in this as well. And they have Ishmael, who is not the child of the promise. And so God, or Abraham has had to send him away uh, and put him out into the desert. And and then the next thing is, is that God provides Isaac. And Isaac is the child of the promise. And it says that Isaac is the most precious thing to Abraham. And so Isaac grows before him as a man. And so it's after these things that God tests Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, and Abraham in obedience says, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Now, the better interpretation of the way the this particular version has put it is there's there's another interpretation of it that's even better, more literal, and it's take your son, your most precious son. Can you imagine uh, Abraham's feelings at this point? That that here he knows that Isaac is the child of everything that God has promised him to this moment. It says that Isaac came to Abraham and Sarah when they were both as good as dead. So they're near 100 years old at the birth of Isaac. And so there's this, this miracle child in their life, this, this gift from God that they had prayed for and waited for for a long, long time. And God's promises attached directly to this one. Now they say at this time that Isaac could have been anywhere from the age of 37 to the age of 25 when this is occurring. So there's this relationship that has been built with this young man and Abram over over these 25, this quarter of a century in a minimum of you are my dad and you are my son. And of course, it's during this time that Abraham has probably told him the promises of God and the way that God was going to fulfill his promise through his son Isaac. And that Isaac would be the beginning of many. That Isaac would also be in the lineage of the stars. And that it was from him that God was going to bless him mightily. And then just the natural human love that a, that a parent has for a child. In addition to knowing the significance of that child. Can you imagine how deeply the emotions go? from Abraham the father to Isaac his son. And how precious, the most precious thing in the world, Isaac would be. Take your son, your most precious son Isaac, whom you love. 
and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. I don't think I could have done it. I'm just going to be frank with you. I love Abram and his faith. I adore him for his faith. I think God and I would have had a significant discussion. I've got four of them. And I don't want to lose a single one of them. I can't imagine just having one. And yet that's what God does. God says, Abram, take this most precious thing to you, and I command you to take that which is most valuable in your life. Take that which is most significant. Take that which you are hanging your hat on for your future and offer it to me as a burnt offering. There's the command. In that command, there is also the invitation to believe. What is Abram believing? What is Abraham believing? He's believing that every promise that God had made to him beforehand and confirmed and had given him will still be true even with his son Isaac. That he somehow mysteriously understands that even though God has promised is through Isaac and that he would have descendants that outnumber the stars, that somehow if he sacrifices Isaac, God will still resurrect Isaac. Somehow he'll come back to life and God's promise will continue on to be true. And that's what Abraham is believing. God, I don't understand. This is mysterious. This offering that you make, this this request that you have for an offering of my son blows my mind. I don't get it. I'm not sure I can do it. But in obedience, I'm going to follow you. I'll follow your command because I believe every promise you made before me, before to me, is real and true. And somehow you'll make even this right. It's in the hardest crux of life that God enters into and says, I will make it right. I promise. Believe me. So we see the response of Abraham's invitation. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. I'm not sure of the two significance of the two. My my insight to that is that later it would take Levitical law would take two as a witness, so that you and I could have an understanding that this is not just some made up story, some conjured up legend, but there there is testimony, there is witnessing to it, and it is accurate and true. Then Abraham said to these young men, stay here as they, as they arrived at Mount Moriah. Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go up over and worship. Now, 
strange words here and we will come back to you. There's where we see the faith of Abraham saying, I understand somehow, even though I'm going to offer him, he's coming back with me. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his hand, took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both went together. I don't know. A little bit of just conjecture here, but I can't imagine the conversation that was going on. We have a small insight to it. Dad, where is, where's the sacrifice? But somewhere up that mountain road, it's occurring to Isaac. Something different and unique is going on. Maybe Abraham was quiet. Maybe maybe he was somber. I, I imagine that he must have been. Maybe he was determined. But at some point, the realization comes, this is no ordinary sacrifice. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife so that they both went together. And he said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went together. We, We give a lot of acclamation to the faith of Abraham in this story as well, we should. He is the centerpiece of it. But we should take deep note in the faith of Isaac as well. The obedience of Isaac, the faithfulness of Isaac, who if he is 25 years old, certainly physically could overwhelm his 100-year-old dad. We don't, we don't get a sense or a hint of any argument. We don't get a sense or a hint of any disagreement. We don't get any kind of sense or hint that Isaac was going to fight. In fact, what we hear is, is that Abram, Abraham laid him down on the wood without a struggle. And when you read it in the original, you realize it's not a struggling event. It's a very... Yielding event. It's an obedient event where the son has such faith and trust in his father and such trust and faith in the God of his father that he realizes, my dad is about to slay me, but I will trust him. Right out of the book of Job, though God slay me, I will trust him. There was an understanding that God does marvelous and mysterious things and makes them all right to the point where we say, God, even what appears to be my end is really my beginning. And what a beautiful picture we have of the gospel story that was to come between our Father in heaven and His only begotten Son, Jesus, who He truly would take up the mountain. And He would take the knife and pierce His Son. As Isaiah tells us, we we imagine we did it, but it says that He was stricken by God. That truly God fulfills the promise here in the command to Abram that He would provide And he would provide his own lamb. He would provide his own precious one. 
for the sake of you and I. So that the promise, so that the promise that God made to Abraham, that by his faith righteousness would come, and by that same faith the multitudes would be blessed of every nation, God will provide his own land, his own son, and make it come true. That there would be a king and a prince that ruled over the house of David forever. Our King Jesus. The better Isaac. The true Isaac. The real Lamb of God. You see, the promise was that God would provide. That God would provide everything. That he truly would be Jehovah Jireh, God who provides. And he didn't just provide what was needed. He didn't just provide to get us to level ground. He provided the most precious thing, his son, his only begotten son, so that you and I would be like we would be joint heirs with all that is His. You and I today have the same command with a twist. We know from Romans chapter 11 and 12, if you have your Bible, turn there real quick. I rarely do this, but let's let's just flip over to Romans 12, 11, um, verse 32. Keep your finger there in Genesis, but 11, Romans 11, 22. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth and the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given him a gift that he may be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Here is the command. I appeal to you, therefore, as brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. There's the twist. Present your bodies, present your life, come before the throne of God, not as one who is dead, but one who is living and alive for Christ. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You see what God is saying here? It's not just singing songs. It's not just the ascent to saying a creed. It's not just listening to a sermon. But it's your life as a living sacrifice that makes worship holy. 
That we don't just gather on one day and expect that somehow God's going to infuse us with some type of holiness. No, God has already imputed holiness to us, given it to us on account of our faith in Christ and said, now in light of that mercy, go and serve me as a living sacrifice. And here's my promise. Here's God's promise to you and I. As we serve him, he will continually to provide for us everything that is necessary to be a living sacrifice. Here's our invitation to believe. Are you willing? Am I willing? To take that place where we find life more important than God and slay it before Him? Are you willing to take that most precious thing before the throne of God and say, God, You are more important than this. Lord, you're more important than my pride. Lord, you're more important than my money. Lord, you're more important than my own control. Lord, you're more important than my own sense of righteousness. Lord, you're more important than my children. You're more important than my spouse. You're more important than me being lonely. You're more important than any drug I could take. You're more important than anything I could view. You're more important than my need to be right. You're more important, God, than everything. Oh God, you've given me amazing gifts. You've given me all oh, so you've given me a home to live in. You've given me a car to drive, air to breathe, food to eat. God, you're more important than the blessings. You're the blessed one. God says, God makes a promise to you and I. If that would be true, if we would come, we would come before his throne and say, God, more of you, less of me. God, whatever my Isaac is, whatever that idol is that I'm holding on to, that that most precious thing that I hold on to for security, that most precious thing that I hold on to for identity, whatever it is, God, that I hold on to more than I hold on to you, let it be slayed. And let me live for you. That's our invitation to believe. But if we will do that, God will provide magnificent things. God will provide more than magnificent things. God will provide himself. What is the promise? While you're in Romans, flip to chapter 8, verse 32. start with 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's the promise. God gave Jesus for you so that you might have all of who Jesus is. Who can condemn? Who can bring any charge against God's elect? If it's God who justifies, who can condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised? Who is it that sits at the right hand of God? Who indeed intercedes for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We have been regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. That is the promise for you and I today. The command is come as a living sacrifice. The opportunity to believe is that if we'll slay that which is more precious to us than God, He will make us more than conquerors. And we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. If you and I really believe that, how will East Glenville be different? How will you be different? Will you not have more power in your life because you believe that the very power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that is within you? Would that not give you a sense of peace and a sense of joy and a sense of knowing intimacy with God Himself? How would you interact differently with other human beings when you realize that your significance isn't in the way that they judge you, but in the way that you have been judged mercifully by Christ and you have Him as your identity? And what would your expectations be like? Would they be fearful expectations or would they be expectations that God is going to do miraculous and wondrous things with my life? That God can do all things through us. That God will exert amazing power if we will believe. And then collectively as we come together as the body of Christ, how would we change the community in which we live? If we would just believe that the presence of God is continually with us. And He will provide. We don't have to worry. We don't have to wring our hands. We don't have to think about the future. We can think about the grace of the moment and be powerful people. And the day that we have with the great I Am within us, it will conquer all things. You don't know He may come back tomorrow. And how much time did we waste on two weeks from now? when we could have been faithful today. It's our opportunity to believe. So the next morning I went in 
surprised to find Lee not on a ventilator. Somehow the progress of the disease stopped right here at her chest and then moved into her diaphragm, miraculously so. They told us it would be probably two years before she learned how to really talk again. Probably a year or so before she could be mobile and walk. Six weeks later, she was talking and walking. Maybe that wasn't the outcome for you. Maybe the outcome of the most precious thing that you love is talking and walking with Jesus right now. Even a better ending. Because he makes all things new. We are here today only by his grace with an invitation to believe if we will hold up those things which we hold on to and ask Him to take them, He will transform them into the most miraculous things you ever could imagine.